We read together to remind us of where we are going, that is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. Hey, if you have a copy of Scripture, you join me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't uh, maybe have a printed version of Scripture, but you'd like to follow along digitally, you can grab your phone. There's a QR code on the screen, and uh, you can snap a photo uh, with your camera app, and it'll open up a link where it'll take you to a spot where you can follow along with the notes and the Scriptures and the things uh, that we have going. Hey, today we're continuing this collection of uh, messages where we're talking uh, through this theme of the King Jesus Gospel. And we're kind of walking through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, looking and exploring the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus did, the, the way in which he invites us to live as we go through it. And uh, uh, as you're turning to, to Matthew 5, I want to show you a, a couple pictures um, several years ago, about eight, eight, nine years ago, I had an opportunity to um, visit uh, Israel. And uh, I want to show you some pictures from that trip. Um, this, is, this first picture is from the shore off the Sea of Galilee. In the Galilee region, this is the place where Jesus did most of his ministry and his teachings. It's a beautiful, quiet place. This is the, the same sea where, where Jesus would walk on water, where Peter and them would go fishing. This is the, the, the sea that they would cross over all the time. This was kind of like the main area, and you kind of can see in the distant area some mountains, and then here you are again on top of the mountains. This is a, a spot where uh, they have kind of coined uh, and, and deemed as likely the spot that they would say was the mountain, that Jesus would walk up, sit down, and begin to teach the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually called the Mount of Beatitudes. I think there's one more picture uh, coming here where you can kind of see here's another view from atop the mountain looking down. This is kind of the landscape and the space where as we're reading, getting ready to read what is called the Sermon on the Mount, this Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, over the next few weeks, this is kind of the, the space and the place in which it, it likely possibly took place now why why is that important because i want us to make sure we have in our minds an understanding that this is a real place with people who thought and taught and felt and lived and moved and fished and laughed and played and this was a, a real environment. In other words, I don't want us to fall into the, the kind of trap being so many years removed and being so many miles removed from these lands and these places that we tend to fairy tale the scriptures. Like, oh, these are stories, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. 
No, they like had 24-hour periods of time where they had to walk, and it took them hours to walk somewhere, right? It took them a while to get places. This is a real location where real people lived and still live, and it's rooted in among the earth. It's literal dirt that you can walk on and see and know and be a part of and experience it. I will say that if you ever have an opportunity to go on kind of like a discipleship excursion um, in the land of Israel, I highly, highly recommend getting to do it because it takes the, the reading of scripture from like black and white stories to like 4K visual understanding of like, oh, Jesus walked from way down there to way up here. And that helps you kind of place and see and grab a hold of some of those things. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're kind of uh, launching out of today. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 12. I'm going to read it out loud. It'll be on the screens. You can follow along. It says this, Then one day, he, Jesus saw the crowds gathering. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Oh, God blesses those who mourn for, oh, they, they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble for they're going to inherit the, the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they're going to be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful for and they're going to be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. He goes on to say, be happy about that. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets, they were persecuted in the same way. Jesus began to gather the people. The people began to gather and Jesus began to teach them on this mountain and begin to go into his, his most famous sermon, this Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters long, and uh, this is kind of the beginning part of it. Now, there, there are uh, three kind of small details that are listed here in the text that I want us to pay attention to because I think they have some significance to kind of understand the larger story and context of what Jesus is doing, what he's saying, and what he's beginning to teach. So, some important things to, to maybe take note of. Number one, it said that there were crowds. Number two, it says that he taught his disciples. And number three, it says he sat down on a, on a mountain. Crowds, disciples, and mountains. Why, why are these significant, Pastor? Well, let me, let me walk you through why I think these are important details to not overlook. Number one, I, this idea of crowds. The crowds were gathering around him. If you go into Matthew chapter 4 and you begin to read out, it says that, that Jesus was healing and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. And, and he was beginning to, to begin to do some ministry and crowds were gathering. People were traveling from many different regions on foot and donkey to come and hear Jesus teach. There was a crowd gathering because they wanted to have an encounter with Jesus. 
God isn't against crowds. Jesus doesn't have a problem with large crowds. Sometimes we have a problem with crowds. Sometimes we have a problem with large crowds. Jesus doesn't have a problem with those things. There are some people who would say, ah, church, it's, I, I can't go to church. It's just too big, too big. And for some of you, Faith Church is, is maybe, maybe like the largest church you've ever, ever been to. You're like, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of things. Like, you can't really have real relationships in, in, a, in a space like that. It, and I would uh, caution us just for a minute on being wary of those things. While it is true that a large majority of churches in the United States are under 100, uh, I don't believe that size is indicative of health or unhealth. And while there would be a lot of people that would say that large churches are bad, I would just highly encourage you to get over that because heaven is going to be quite large. <laughs> I grew up in a church of over 17,000 people that attended on the weekend. Jesus gathered people. And people wanted to gather. Why? Because they wanted to have an encounter with the real Jesus. May we be a place, and I believe that we are, a church where people gather from all over this region and area. Many of you travel many more miles than others of us do to be here among God's people, to sit, to sing, to listen, to learn together, uh, because there is something transformative that happens in the environment of faith where the people of God gather that, that transforms us. It's something happened. I heard a, heard a testimony recently of somebody who's attended our church a few times, and they said that every time they've walked into our church and they've sat down and they've just kind of observed, and it's a different kind of church than what they've ever been to, uh, but they come and they be the heart, and they said, I don't know what's going on, but every time I'm in there, I feel like the literal hand of Jesus just rests on my shoulder. Friends, I think that where people are having an encounter with the real Jesus, people just show up. And, and, and it's not about growing a crowd, but I think it's important that we understand that so many people are walking into our midst. And while we are here in our midst, we're having an encounter with Jesus and our hearts begin to burn within us because there is something of truth and life that we're discovering about the person of Jesus. It's not about the people that are on the platform, but rather the message and the, and the presentation or the, or the pronunciation of the truth of who Jesus is. Scripture says that if you lift Jesus up, people will be drawn to him. It's a fact. When people have an encounter with Jesus, people begin to show up in that place. And the crowds were gathering, but but I want you to know that the crowds were gathering, but Jesus was teaching the disciples. See, our journey often starts while sitting in a crowd, but the invitation isn't to stay sitting in a crowd. It's to begin to lean in and become a disciple. A disciple is somebody who knows God through his word. A disciple is somebody who um, walks and practices the way of Jesus. A disciple is someone who leads other people to do the exact same thing. There, there's a call to discipleship. A disciple was a learned one, one who was learning. Friends, the, the crowd and the disciples heard the same message that Jesus proclaimed, but only some of them were learning there's a difference, there's a contrast that's happening here that, that Matthew's saying, there was a lot of people gathered, but it was the disciples that Jesus was teaching. They were hearing the same thing. I think some of you teachers will understand this. Uh, there is a difference between teaching and learning. It is, it is often the posture of the student, whether they are teachable, as to whether they are learning. 
you can be taught and hear the truth being taught every Sunday, but still not be teachable. Still not be. This is why we encourage you to get a Bible and a journal on your own so you can look and follow along and and read and, and examine and go back to later. Why we encourage you to, this is why we, we, we put our messages on YouTube and on our central hub so you can go and listen or watch them and share them with other people. Why be, be because we want you to not just listen once, but maybe listen again. Write, write some notes down to, to hear the word, to write the word, to find what it says in the word, and to share about what you learned in the word. This, this is what we learned. That's how Jesus overcame temptation last week, isn't it? He found it in scripture. He wrote down the scripture. He spoke the scripture. He thought the scripture. Why, why are those four things important? Because those are the four learning styles. The four potential ways in which every person can learn. The difference between a disciple, between somebody who is being apprenticed under Jesus and the crowd, is often not where they are sitting, but how they are sitting within the crowd. Are you leaning in or are you just leaning back trying to examine what's being said? There's a difference between being taught and being having a teachable heart. And we want to be people who are drawing in, who take a step from just hearing messages to, to just learning some things together, but actually begin to practice and walk out the way of Jesus, begin to live it out, to, to get in smaller gatherings and, and begin to discuss and learn what it looks like to apply it to your life and to be challenged and grow and learn. And this is why we encourage you to get into the Fresh Start pathway and begin to learn and grow. This is why we do things like First Wednesday night, not because we believe prayer changes things, absolutely, but it's another opportunity for you to be gathering with other people and learn what it looks like to pray and seek God. So, so that you have a safe environment to come and practice your own way of praying and talking with God. It's all about this discipleship because we don't want you just to sit in the crowd. We want you to take some steps to become an apprentice, to be teachable, to fully lean in and receive the teachings that are being taught in, in the crowd. There's a difference here being listed between the crowd and a disciple. I think it's really important that we grab a hold of those things. But the third thing that kind of small and perhaps seems insignificant to you, but I find it incredibly important to understanding some things, is the mountain. It says that Jesus walked up to the mountain and he sat down and began to teach them some new things. He began to teach them the, the new way of doing same things. We said that the gospel... The, the presentation, the preaching, the proclamation, the sharing, the gospeling, the evangelizing, the, the proclaiming of the truth of the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the fulfillment of Israel's story, the, the king who is living, the, the, the reality, a part, a big part of the King Jesus gospel that we must proclaim is that Jesus is the completion, the fulfillment of Israel's story. He's the fulfillment. Um, I'm a little bit OCD. Uh, not completely on everything, but there are some things that I'm really, really like, I just got, it just, if it doesn't happen, like, I'm, I'm a little bit out of sorts, you know what I'm talking about, like, um, like some of you, like, if I went, dun, da, da, dun, dun, yeah, you would have to finish it, like, you can't leave it undone, you gotta, like, like, a, what, one, one thing for me is anytime I go on a trip, and I come home, I have to unpack the suitcase, or I can't rest, 
Like there's just something in the back of my mind that says, if you don't put that away, you're going to have to do it tomorrow. And you, you're going to might forget to do something. And that, those clothes, they're going to start smelling. You leave them in that bag long enough, it's going to get nasty. You don't want to do that. Just put everything back where it goes so when you wake up, you wake up refreshed and you don't have to do it. Some of you are like, stop this, Pastor, right now. You're bringing conviction to our hearts. And my wife is going to say, see, see, you should do that. I'm not, I'm just trying to say... I got some things where, like, I can't leave it undone. God didn't want to leave the story of his people undone any longer. So he sent Jesus. Watch, 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 watch. What have we already seen happen in the gospel of Matthew thus far? Jesus was baptized through the waters. What happened with the children of Israel? They walked through the waters of the Red Sea. And Egypt was drowned behind them so that they could move into the promised land. After they walked through the water, they went into the wilderness. Jesus was baptized. And after his baptism, we, let, we saw last week, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. After they walked through the wilderness, the children of Israel came to a place called Mount Sinai. They were at a mountain. God came down the mountain and gave them the law. We see here that after Jesus comes out of the, the wilderness, he goes up a mountain and sits down and begins to preach a new covenant that is coming, a new way to be the followers of Jesus. See, it was on the verge once they had wandered in the wilderness and they had gone to the mountain Sinai, and right when they were ready to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 28, God gives them through Moses these commands and these understandings that says, listen, listen, here's how you live a flourishing life. Deuteronomy 28, I will bless those who bless you. In Deuteronomy 28, you say, and you will be, I will curse those who curse you. And he begins to give them this contrast of understanding. Right before they walk into their promised land, he gives them the key and the understanding of what does a life blessed by God look like. And here is Jesus risen up, walked up a mountain, sat down, and he's beginning to gather to be able to tell them the new way in which to live life, and he begins to tell them you are on the verge of seeing the kingdom of God that has now come. The promised land was a foreshadowing, a picture pointing towards the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he says, it's near, it's here. Let me tell you, blessed are those who are poor in spirit who've understood their deep need for God, oh, they're going to be satisfied. And he begins to walk through. Jesus is fulfilling and completing and, in a sense, running it back, what Israel did originally and sometimes didn't do it very well. Jesus was coming and doing it in a different way for them. So when it says Jesus goes up and sits down on a mountain, this is a really important picture that Matthew is giving us all through his gospel, showing us how Jesus is the fulfillment and the completion of the story of the people and the story that God has been telling through the law, through his people, through the prophets, up until this point in illustration. God sent his son Jesus to close the loop on something. Let me, let me illustrate it to you here on our whiteboard, and uh, we're going to try to put this up so everybody, no matter kind of where you're sitting, you can see, and for those online, th this is the story, right? We saw in the beginning in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, he said, let, they said, let us make man in our image, so in the beginning, you have God, he's here, and he says, let us make man kind of in our image, right here. 
and they had a fellowship. God walked with man in the garden, unbroken fellowship with God. Anytime they could walk and talk and see God in the, in the cool of the day, God, he himself is here, and he created man kind of in his likeness, and there was a connection that man and God had. But then uh, Adam and Eve, uh, humanity decided to lead a mutiny, and they decided to do things their own way and walk away. And now there is a broken relationship with God. And so God says, you know what? We're going to create a system. I'm going to send some laws. I'm going to send my prophets. We're going to create a sacrificial system so that, so that now we can have a covenant and we can now be connected again together. And so the people of God kind of journeyed through life, and here they were. They're still connected to God. They're still there. But, 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 but the, so, so, so there was a, still a connection, a possibility of, of kind of walking with God. And through the ages and through the seasons, there was, God was pursuing them. They still had an opportunity to be connected to God, but the loop was still open. And so then God sends his son, Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, we're going to read it here in a minute. Jesus shows up and says, hey, guys, listen, I didn't come to erase the law that was given, but the way in which we could now have relationship because sin separates us. Sin disconnected us from God. We walked away in mutiny to God. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to create a way, a system in which we could do this. And so the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices, and they had all these rules and regulations on how to be pure in each of those things pointed to a real truth that helped us understand the holiness and the nature and the character and the trueness of God. But the desire and the reason for those things was so that we could stay in connection to God. And God says, yeah, but we need to complete that loop. And in Matthew 5, 17, you see Jesus says, I didn't come to remove this. No, no, no. I came to complete it. What was lacking, what was missing, I came to full fill to accomplish the circle so that now there is a new circle don't don't hate me for this now there's a new circle of trust there's a new circle of trusted relationship where we could come and relate with God where the unbroken fellowship with God could remain connected Jesus came to fulfill the rest of the way what the law and the old testaments and the prophets gave you a three-quarter glass of sweet tea jesus showed up and says i'm gonna pour it till it's overflowing now and you can have a full glass a fulfilled glass of what god wants to promise and give you the life of god is meant to be a circle of commune of communion continual connection abiding in god right here father son spirit where you can have connection and communion and relationship with father son and spirit again which was his intended original design in the beginning and jesus came to fulfill it this was his mission to show us what does it look like to have a relationship directly with the father that's what Jesus came to live and do. That was his mission. And Matthew is cluing us in that this is the important thing. This is what's happening. So Jesus gathers them. They sit down on the mountain, and he begins to teach them how to find this, how to live in this, how to hold on to this relationship with God. And he begins to teach them some good things. Here's the first thing that we see in, this, uh, in Jesus' sermon that we see. Jesus begins to teach that the way of the kingdom will produce the good life that we long for. The good life. He, he says, ah, oh, you want to know what life looks like blessed? It looks like somebody who recognizes that they have a deep need for God. 
That on the outside they may look rich, but on the inside without God they are poor. And the sooner you realize it, the sooner you can find satisfaction. He goes to say it's not about winning arguments. It's about being somebody who knows how to make peace. And he offers a paradox a paradoxical way of living, an upside-down understanding of what does it look like to be in relationship with God and to be truly human. He's offering us an understanding by saying, hey, listen, if you want to be blessed, God wants to bless you. The blessing comes from God. It doesn't come from you. You don't get to take the blessing, and you don't get to make the blessing. The blessing comes from God. If you want a life that is full and flourishing, it's going to be because you have found connection with Father, Son, and Spirit, that there's an abiding connection that you have with God, and that is what is going to produce the life that you long for. And Jesus uses this word blessed. Now, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, how, like, we hear the word blessed, and we think, like, hashtag blessed, right? Like, like we think, like, I got a promotion. We think materialism. We think uh, everything is good. There is no problems in my life. Like, I just blessed, we put it on t-shirts, we put it all over our houses, inside we decorate with this phrase, blessed, blessed, blessed. It's this Greek word, makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, and it means this. It doesn't mean blessed, it doesn't mean fortunate, but when you get into it, it's an adjective that really is describing a happy disposition. I would offer us one word. You want to know what Jesus is trying to get at as it relates to being blessed, the blessed life? It's a joyful life. Turn to your neighbor looking for smiling. They may not be smiling. They should be. They're living blessed. They're going to have a smile. It's, and Jesus is describing a life. Look at some of these things that he describes in this from verse 3 to verse 10, blessed are those who work for peace, blessed are those who show mercy, blessed are those who are, who are merciful to others, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That doesn't look like what we would call blessed. That doesn't look like all of our circumstances being perfect and without trouble. But he says it's in those moments having a sense of joy is actually the mark of God's blessing in your life. Jesus came and taught the way of the kingdom. The King Jesus gospel is Jesus proclaiming a good life that is produced within us because God has come and connected us back to him. And there is a joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Where? That's all my Sunday school kids right there. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ow, right? Like, like, I don't know. I don't know where that part of the song came from. But I always had fun singing that as a kid. There is a joy that goes beyond circumstance. It is not material blessing that God is saying is the good life that you long for. The good life you long for is one of robust joy. Not because you're burdened with legalism. Listen, if you are following Jesus and don't have joy, get the stick out of your behind. Stop it. 
and quit trying to stick one up someone else's behind. Have some joy. Listen, if you're not having fun following Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Why? Because when you are connected to the Father, Son, when you have found the fulfillment of all things, when you are connected to the source of all life, there is a joy. And Jesus is trying to show us that there is a joy available to you and for you that you need to have in your life. There is a blessed life. God longs to bring it, and and it shows up in this understanding of joy. The life you long for is joyful. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar and professor, he says this. He says, Jesus wants to give us a life full of joy but we settle for pleasure instead. I wonder how many of us are just chasing the next pleasure thing, the next thing that we think is going to make us happy, the next thing that's going to make us feel satisfied, the next thing that's going to make us filled and not lacking anything, the thing that's going to make us feel like a good Christian finally. And it's all often external pleasures that we're chasing. Does that mean the life of joy looks like nothing pleasurable? No. Don't miss the point. Just know that God isn't those things. He's beyond all those things. Don't settle for pleasure. When God wants to offer you a life of joy, no matter your circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter the stage of life, no matter the, what's happening, there is a joy and a contentment in that moment that is available to us Life in the kingdom is not, hear me, up and to the right. This is what we think. This is what we think that, that life is. We think that life is like finally starting to discover, okay, I'm, doing, I'm making some good choices. I'm not sinning. Maybe we go down a little bit. That's, we had a bad season. That Christmas wasn't as fun. And then we're kind of going up. And, and, and we think that life, the good life, the blessed life, the, the life that we long for is this up and to the right until we get to heaven in the sweet by and by. Because we're going to go from glory to glory, strength to strength. Sorry, that's a little old school Pentecostal coming out inside of me. And we just think that everything is always about going up and to the right that that's the blessed life Jesus says the blessed life is one that abides in him and remains in him and stays steady in him and and and, and then you can you can find life in the spirit that that blessed are you when when you're persecuted and, and oh, no, oh you can have joy when you're making peace with others but everyone else is wanting to make arguments instead and you can have peace when the when there's turnover at work but you can still stay steady in God knowing that he's going to be the one that provides for you cuz he's your satisfaction he's the one that you long for and you just can stay abiding in the Lord, connected, having fellowship with the Lord. We have a Greek Western view of life, but this is the Hebrew, Hebraic view of life. It works in cycles and circles. Cycles and circles, cycles and circles, cycles, seasons of life. This is how the Bible speaks and talks, and this is what Jesus is trying to communicate He's trying to teach us that the blessed life, the, the, the way of the kingdom will produce a good life. He goes on to say this, that the way of the kingdom will not just produce a good life, but it will produce a good life that others can taste and see. 
Look at it, Matthew chapter 5. We read it a minute ago in our corporate reading, verse 13. It says this, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it lost its flavor? How can you make it salty again? It will be thrown and trampled underfoot as worthless. Oh, but you're also the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights the lamp and then uh, puts it under a basket. Oh, no. You've got to let it shine like a, like a lamp placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, what's he talking about? What's the salt? What's the light? He's telling you what it looks like. It's that you would let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The good deeds. These aren't good deeds that we do to earn anything from God. You can't earn the good life. You can't earn a fulfilling life. You can't earn the blessed life. It's not about earning. But because we have received of the gracious gift of who God is, the relationship that produces life, because we have received of that good gift, oh, we could, we could see these things grow in us and people can taste and see in a way that our good deeds help glorify God. We do the good deeds because God is worthy of the glory of a life lived in his direction. This is why we do it. Uh, according to my son and I, there are two types of people. Those of us who like to put chips or salt on our chips at a Mexican restaurant. And those of you who have lost your ever-loving mind. <laughs> like, right, buddy? That's right. Salt on chips. It's good. Salt enhances a flavor. And it preserves some things. The way of the kingdom will produce a good life that preserves it in a way that other peoples can taste the goodness of God and they can see God's goodness through the way you're living in a good way so that they can taste of the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of a life that is staying connected and abiding. Not one that's trying to go up and to the right, but the one that remains connected to the Lord, that has a relationship with the Lord. And then finally, Jesus teaches in this beginning part of his sermon. He teaches us that the way of the kingdom will produce the good life in a way that others can taste it and see. But that kind of life requires a righteousness that you and I can't produce on our own. Look at how he goes on to say, starting in verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. He said, I, I didn't come to abolish the law and what was written in it. No, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, unless heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and, and teach others to do the same, you, you will be called the, the least in the kingdom of heaven, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? Those who are a disciple and make disciples. That's the call of the kingdom. 
But to make disciples and to be a disciple, to be a disciple and to make disciples is going to require a righteousness that you and I don't have on our own. He goes on to say, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religion and law and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, listen, you need a righteousness. Righteousness, think of it in this terms, right standing with God. See, when Israel walked away, they were no longer in right standing with God. So he gave them the law and the prophets to help them have a solid connection again back with God in, in a good relationship. And as long as the, the, they did the things and, and obeyed the things, they, they stayed in right relationship with God. But, oh, there were many seasons where they didn't. Where they rebelled and they wandered and they couldn't do it on their own and it wasn't working out for them. And God's like, I got I to gotta complete this. I can't, I can't leave it undone anymore. It's time. And he sends his son to, to complete it, to complete the connection, to give us right standing with God. See, friends, you might be striving for the good life on your own efforts, but can I tell you, sitting in the crowd and thinking sitting in the crowd and living according to God's laws as best you can, and as long as I do more good than I do bad, the Bible says that that is your own righteousness, and it's like a filthy rag before God. I'm not talking like one that you clean the oil with. The actual understanding of that word, I'm going do my best to keep it PG. It's like a used menstrual cloth before God. But in all your efforts to try and keep it together, there are some things that just aren't working. There's a death that that symbolizes. The, the, the end of the cycle, it, it symbolizes the, an, an unborn something where new life hasn't begun in the womb. It's, it's a death of sorts. It's a picture of death of sorts. And God says all of your good deeds still lead to death. But the gift of God is a son who comes and despite your good deeds and bad deeds, despite your knowledge of good and your knowledge of evil, despite trying to do it on your own and in your own effort, can give you an opportunity to complete and have a relationship with God which will produce the good life that others can taste and see. And that it gives you a right standing with God that is not your own, but rather it's his son's. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For God made Christ who knew no sin to be offered for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. This is good, good, good news for us. Friends, will you stand as we come to a moment of response and the table of the Lord if you're in the room and you receive some communion on the way in and would like to participate as a follower of Jesus, man, we welcome you to do that. Grab these 
elements. If you're at home and a follower of Christ and you want to participate in this moment, we welcome that. If you would go ahead and make sure the juice is flipped towards the bottom and peel that open and get the, get the bread out. And then if you would, once you have the bread out, flip it back over and open up the juice side. Just hold on to them. And we'll, uh, we'll partake together here in just a minute. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a second. Remember, Jesus went up the mountain and he sat down. That not only was a completion of what was in the past of Israel's story, but it also was a prophetic picture pointing to something else in the future. See, because after Jesus' death and resurrection, he ascended up into heaven. And scripture tells us he has now seated next to the Father on the right hand. He's seating on a seat of judgment. And his judgment isn't about your good deeds and your bad deeds. The judgment is, have you believed in the Son or have you believed in your own strength? Have you lived in the life of the Son or have you lived in the life of your own efforts? Hebrews 10 tells us that under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all of time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he awaits it until the enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering... He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Those who are in the loop, the circle of trusted relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit because of the power of what Jesus did. He goes on to say in verse 19, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, he opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, let us go right into his presence with sincere hearts, fully, completely, in a circle of connection and communion, trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled and washed with Christ's blood, which makes us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. As we stand here in this moment holding the juice which represents his blood and the bread which represents his body, I want you to realize that Jesus ascended into heaven victorious, having completed and accomplished his mission. And when we believe in him as the son of God who died and rose again, we are given his righteousness and are invited into a relationship with him of unbroken communion. It's not up and to the right, but it's one of continual commitment communion to him so father as we stand here at your table with these elements in hand where where we've trusted in our own rights where we've kind of thought that the the way to heaven was to just live an upward mobility up into the right kind of life lord would you forgive us Lord, where we've been trying to do it in our own strength would you help us stop 
and instead receive your spirit and strength. Lord, today we are making a profession and a confession that your blood purifies us and your body brings a wholeness to us so that nothing is left undone in our life and we can have communion and connection with you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us and teaching us things today. We're grateful. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us so that we could be made whole. Let's take the bread and remember that together. And Lord, we thank you for the cup that's blessed because of your blood, which removes our sins and gives us a pure heart so that we can, with full trust and confidence, make the circle again and connect with you and stay in abiding connection with you, relationship with you. We thank you for your forgiveness. Let's take that together, the cup. And if you just hold on to those cups, we'll collect them as you exit the sanctuary here in a minute. Now, as we get ready to depart from this place, may I pronounce a blessing over you today? Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance towards you, a joyful countenance, and give you peace. And may everywhere you go, you be reminded that you are loved by him. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who abides within us, strengthening us for the life ahead. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.